All right, Devin, I'm curious, what are you obsessed with this week? All right, so one of our mutual friends sent me an article um, about a Massachusetts bill that's being proposed that would shorten sentences of criminals who donated their organs or bone marrow while in prison. Which seems like a pretty juicy bioethics question. <laughs> yeah, wait a second, wait a second. I I had probably six different people either text or email or somehow reference this bill. It must have gotten some uh, some you know popular media coverage at some point because it was within about twenty four hours that a ton of people sent it to us. Right. Um, all right. So. Let me let me just make sure I have this right. So I if I were convicted of a crime in Massachusetts and serving time, mm-hmm. I could donate an organ or tissue or bone marrow and they would take time off of my sentence. Yep. So somewhere between no less than 60 days, no more than 180 days, I think. So minimal time, but not nothing, right? Interesting. That raises a bunch of concerns. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, so I'm really curious because I saw a few different sort of ethicists in these articles responding. But what would be your like most immediate concern? Uh, I think my my first question is about coercion. Right. The idea that we are somehow coercing these individuals who are at a obviously at a power dis- differential a lower power status to do something that they otherwise wouldn't do in order to get this benefit of a reduced sentence right so this is always a concern with prisoners so there's been these horrible you can just look up like the holmesburg experiments so researchers love prisoners because it, it to do human subjects research on because they're like a really confined population you can like factor in right so a lot of times with human subjects there's all sorts of variables you can't control for but a prisoner has very little options as far as like what they eat and where they can go and so you can reduce a lot of those confounding factors so they're kind of an ideal population but in the 50s and 60s and 70s researchers did these terrible experiments on prisoners who did give consent i believe but their consent is so restrained like how can can they really say no and even if they're not being provided any sort of incentive it's hard for prisoners to say no so um there were all sorts of really gross things that were experimented on them so between cosmetics and different like skin um allergies and 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 things that were just now we would think of as very unethical And this, of course, isn't that, but just to say that we actually have special protections for prisoners because we recognize that they are not in the best position to give authentic consent. So that's a big worry is that it could be coercive to them. And one thing we look for in in the research context is, you know, are they being are they being coerced? That would be one thing. Or are they experiencing some sort of undue inducement? By which we mean, are they doing something they wouldn't have otherwise done to gain the benefit being promised by research? And I'm here just using research as an analogy because it's not research. But if we take that um, as a good analogy for this, would commuting your sentence be a undue inducement? And, and you might argue it would. Who's 
are, are these the kind of people who are saying, oh, I want to donate my organs no matter what, and it's just gravy on top of it that I'm getting a lesser sentence? Or are they doing it for the lesser sentence? My guess would be most of them would be doing it to commute their sentence in some way. So that might give us pause. Is this authentic yeah. consent? Right. And I mean, if you're incarcerated, the greatest benefit that you can be offered is to be not incarcerated anymore. <laughs> I right? think so. Right, right. Yep. So oh. that that being such a significant benefit, um, that, that's when we get concerned about undue inducements, right? It's mm -hmm. if can they actually say no? And are they going to be offered or given something for participation in this program, whatever it is, research or um, in this case, donating uh, donations? that the benefit is so disproportionate that no reasonable person would say no. And so I actually did some reading about that Holmesburg prison um, case that you brought up. And the the things that were done to these individuals um, were, for the most part, consented to by them so that they were offered to be part of this uh let's say, a, a research project that was looking at whether or not a particular type of soap was an irritant to the to skin. And so they were offered to be part of this. And I think that they were given, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was cash. I think they were given like uh, deposits into their commissary or whatever and, and pretty nominal amounts in, our, in the minds of somebody who is not incarcerated. So a few dollars, for example, a few dollars a day for participation. But in the economy within the prison, it was such a disproportionate amount of money that it was actually the valuation of that little bit of money was huge for them. And they would be able to live uh, very much more comfortably within the prison. Right. So any sort of small inducement might have an outweighed influence. Because I think some people were saying, listen, I mean, 60 days, 180 days, in the grand scheme of things, that might not be much, okay, depending on the sentence. But I don't know um, if if like prison life in the movies and TV or any indication, um, it's terrible and nobody wants to be in prison. And any sort of reduction of sentence might be incredibly um, inducing to to people. So I have to assume that this would get a lot of people to donate organs. But of course, that's exactly the point, right? So we want them to donate organs. And this is where the, the pro side is saying, or the legislators who propose this bill are saying, listen, there are thousands of people in the state who are waiting on organs who might die without organs. Something like 4,000 people in Massachusetts are waiting for organs as we speak. And, and this is really interesting, they also argued it was a racial justice issue because so many um, of those people are non-white and they have a harder time finding appropriate um, donors. And because prisons are full of people like them, maybe from their ethnic or racial background who might be better matches for them, that this is an ideal population to help solve racial inequity in healthcare. How do you feel about that? Wow. That, um, <laughs> my mind went the opposite direction. That, uh -huh. <laughs> that was actually uh, a problem for a lot of those same reasons. If the population that we are, let's say that we are inducing, we won't use the word coercion, but we're significantly inducing this population and it's all people of color, you know, or disproportionate amount of uh, participants who 
are ethnic or racial minorities, then isn't that just a way to extract that resource from this group that's already had been disadvantaged in society in a lot of other ways as well? Right. That that was my first thought too, is like, oh no, this is a like double oppression then, potentially, right? If you think of this as, so I will say my gut was sort of like, oh, I don't think we should do this, but I did then have to really sit down and think about, you know, what would be the positives? What would be the drawbacks? And, you know, if you think this is a great idea, then maybe the racial justice question doesn't so much bother you, or you think it is like these legislators said, you know, a, a net positive. Um, we, it doesn't mean we can't at the same time seek, you know, prison reform. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. So you could do both those things, but yeah. it just feels, it feels quite icky to me. And I, I've gotten some, uh, listener feedback on, oh, Devin shouldn't just go with her gut. I promise you that in ethics cases, I don't just <laughs> have rash opinions and then go with them. But I do think I want to, so, but I think it's important to name what your gut is saying and then think through, is that a, like, why, why is that my gut reaction? And then, you know, is that a reasonable reaction or do, is it countervailed by other important values and principles that I, I hold um, or that are important for bioethics? So I, always, I just want to say, I think you should name the gut reaction, but by no means do then you go with it and then just try to justify it with, with bioethics. That would be a mistake. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's poor form. Uh, I was having this conversation with a group of students the other day, actually, about gut reactions and ethical intuition. And what I told them is, you, like you said, you have to listen to it and you have to try to figure out why you are having this reaction. But it's the beginning of the conversation, right? It's not the conclusion of the conversation. Right. Um, all right. So maybe the, the proposed bill isn't as fleshed out as maybe we would like to see. Um, mm-hmm. But are there restrictions on the number of times somebody can donate? <laughs> Well, I mean, I would hope so, right? So so what they were proposing is that there would be some sort of like board that would meet to make sure somebody was appropriate and that they were actually giving informed consent. So there were, you know, safeguards that they were already thinking through. Um, obviously, you can only donate a few organs without dying. So this yeah. would be pretty limited. <laughs> That's limited. Uh, one kidney, potentially part of a liver, um, and then bone marrow, which you can donate... Um, more than once, of course. Um, so there are possibilities there. Um, who gets to decide like what organ or what amount of marrow constitutes what lesser sentence is? Man, can you imagine being on that ethics committee? Oh, goodness. Like your kidney is worth 60 days, but your kidney is worth 180 days. Like how would you possibly make that decision is, oof. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what if... you? So I think, yeah, I think you're right. So bone marrow, you can donate over and, you know, we're going to have listeners who actually know the answers to this who are going to be howling about it. But uh, let's say, for example, bone marrow regenerates at the rate of, you know, once every year or twice a year, three times a year, whatever it is. If if I have a long sentence and I can donate and get 60 days, 180 days, a couple of times a year, then, I mean, I could significantly shorten my, my, uh, my, my sentence. Right. And so I don't know if the the 180 day cap is like for all donations or per donation, this would have to be worked out um, in the hellscape that allows this to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So that's, I mean, something else to think about. I think another thing that 
that came up, which is sort of a, you know, wouldn't have a, a, immediately occurred to me, but of course it should, because I, I do see prisoners in the hospital, is what kind of aftercare are they getting in prison? So it is significant. When you donate an organ there, and, and we remember we learned this um, from Martha Gershon on our previous episode, there is a lot that goes into that. And uh, it can't be that then you reside in the hospital for years after that, getting you know the kind of care you would need. You're going back to prison. And so what kind of care or after treatment are these prisoners getting? Is it the best care possible having donated an organ? I mean, that's both like the surgical wound care, which, you know, maybe you can stay in the hospital for. But I think that there's a lot of other things to consider when you donate that um, does change how you live your life. And can that be adequately cared for and um, or moderated in in the prison environment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, because healthcare within the prison system probably isn't the gold standard. That's I'm what I assuming. hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, interestingly, and this is just kind of a, a nerdy side note, prisoners are the only group of patients in the United States that have a constitutional right to health care. Right. Because the failure to provide health care was decided by the Supreme Court to be cruel and unusual. So unlike everybody else in society, prisoners actually have a constitutional right to, to health care what level and what type and what quality of healthcare is left unde undefined. But that's a really good point as well. And here's the other thing that we think about. Okay, so in the U.S., and we can fight about whether this should be the law or not, but you can't sell an organ. Doesn't this kind of feel like selling an organ? I mean, if time is money, right? <laughs> <laughs> the I mean, you're getting some sort of... So if I were working in the hospital and... Have you ever sat on an organ donation committee? I have. I've attended them. I've never okay. been a like a voting member, but I'm familiar right, but with them. You've sort of seen them happen. Yeah. So when you're on those committees, you're worried about exploitation, but you're also worried about getting some sort of kickback. So you can't be paid for an organ. So you don't want to backdoor pay somebody or or suspect that somebody's being paid. But you also don't want other kinds of benefits coming from the um, recipient. And so you want to make sure there isn't some sort of other kind of deal happening behind the scenes. But that seems like exactly what's happening here is that they're getting compensation. It's not financial, so they're not selling it directly in that kind of economy, but they are getting a significant benefit to them. And I feel like if this were, if I had heard that some, some sort of analogous case in the hospital setting, I would say that this might not be appropriate. So why would it be appropriate in the carceral setting if it's not appropriate in the hospital setting? Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's exactly the reason why the people who proposed this bill felt that a bill, you know, state statute was necessary. I think because there are these concerns where in unless there was a statute that was saying, no, this is okay in this situation, I think a lot of the review processes, the protections in place would have kiboshed it. Right. And, and as far as I can tell, most states do allow prisoners to donate to a family member but only to a family member. They can't even make anonymous or altruistic donations to strangers. So it's their options are really limited in, in organ donation. So you had to create a bill like this that would expand those options. And then I think they thought, and then give them, yeah, give them something because you know not a lot of people do this altruistically. Yeah. So one question, and again, maybe the details aren't worked out to the point that we have an answer to this, but who pays for this? Oh, like who pays for the care? 
Yeah, who pays for the transplantation, you know, the clinical time and resources and everything. Yeah. Yeah, because as we learned from Martha, you know, even the donor has some, you know, while they tend to be compensated for maybe um, travel or things like this, there she did take on some financial burden in doing this. So, yeah, that's a great question. Who is paying for all this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I am pretty confident it's not going to be the Department of Corrections. <laughs> They're no. not going to be footing the bill for this. So maybe it's the, you know, maybe that's a, a point that needs to be fleshed out with uh, more details. But yeah, super interesting law. I love when these laws come up because I almost guarantee that the folks who are proposing this bill didn't sit down with a bioethicist and think, hmm, <laughs> what, are the, what are the ramifications for this? I mean, I just could have, please call me if you're a legislator and you're thinking about a bill that might have bioethical implications, do call someone. I mean, this a lot of the blowback would have, it's so easily anticipated if they had just stopped and asked somebody who had some expertise in the area. That is the case with almost every piece of legislation that gets <laughs> proposed, I think. <laughs> well, that's true. Let's, let's get some experts on this. Okay, one more one more claim that I, I want your assessment of. So another thing that apparently was one of the legislators who proposed the bill tweeted was that this would restore bodily autonomy to incarcerated folks by providing them the opportunity to donate organs and bone marrow. So this is an opportunity to expand their bodily autonomy. Oh man, that's interesting. Yeah. Again, I don't think that that was uh, that was chewed on by by <laughs> people who have training in this area. I mean, even just the use of the word autonomy is is interesting in that way. Um, so let me try to let me try to figure out what what he is saying or the the whoever tweeted this is saying. I think that it. What they're saying is that being incarcerated is almost a complete uh, loss of your bodily control of your body, right? Uh-huh. The way in which you move, obviously, the way in which you interact with the world is really regulated and constrained and constrained and um, confined in a lot of ways. And this is a way to take control of that, re- take well, control you- at least of of that part of your body and be able to decide what to do or what not to do with your body is that yeah i think think? so right yeah Uh, so you know your your options for what you're allowed to do with your body are very your body are very constrained and this gives you one more option um it's not untrue but can you imagine if i said that about you know uh female prisoners giving being given the option to be surrogates Right, like you can just, you know, here's another choice that you're allowed to make. Isn't that wonderful? And choices are good. I do like having choices, but I'm not sure that, you know, risky choices, choices that affect your body permanently are always necessarily good options to have. I think that this tweet, what it's maybe misunderstanding or maybe not appreciating fully. Obviously, it's a tweet, so can't get into <laughs> too much detail. But the the ability of somebody to control their own body um, in one way doesn't necessarily connect with controlling your body in another way, right? So, so because they are in a very confined, constricted environment, um, 
I don't know that it, that it's true that giving somebody the ability to control a very narrow part of their their body actually overall creates more auto- bodily autonomy for for anybody. So, no, and, and all these other overriding, you know, restrictions make it less likely that this is a free choice. Yeah. So it's wow. just a, it's an interesting conundrum. There's, you know, mm-hmm. two sides arguing about autonomy and what autonomy really means. I'll say mm-hmm. that a lot of um, organizations that work on prison reform were pretty horrified by this. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so which might yeah. tell you something. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think w- what it does, and I, is it highlights two issues. Number one, the 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 prison's criminal justice system has significant issues, and there's a lot of reason to think that they're there needs to be wholesale changes at a, a lot of different levels in the criminal justice system. Uh, and number two, the organ donation system is also has a lot of issues. And specifically, one of the biggest issues is the supply issue, is that there's just not enough organs and tissues and um, uh, bone marrow to to fulfill the need that the, that patients have. And so people are trying to be creative and trying to figure out ways in which to help more people who need these types of, you know, life-saving, life-prolonging treatments. Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm really sympathetic to that. I I think it's awful to watch somebody die from something that could have been prevented if there had only been a match of a donor. I I think my my biggest worry in cases like this is that we're picking a pretty vulnerable population to choose to target to solve a supply issue. And I think we should always give ourselves pause when there are, you know, in our world, there are just some populations that because of their situation are more vulnerable to coercion than others. And I think a prison population is just a prime example of a group that is very hard to protect against coercion and exploitation. Yeah, Yeah. well said. 